0: As you're going to Genesis, let me say a few words. Um, You know, even in singing Just a Closer Walk with Thee, when we talk about the afterlife or what happens when we die, as Christians, we often speak of going to heaven. And interestingly, while this idea of going to heaven is not entirely foreign to the Bible, what you may not notice is that it's not the characteristic idiom that's used by the Bible. The scriptures, if you were to go through them, do a survey, speak not so much of, about our going to heaven as they speak more about heaven coming down. Biblically, heaven and earth are not so much two places as really they are two dimensions or realms, if you will, that exist side by side. Though not always visible to the naked eye, heaven is always present when we pray On earth as it is in heaven we are acknowledging that heaven is the dimension where the presence and will of God is fully known and expressed in ways that we long for on earth and if this is maybe a little bit of a new thought or confusing to you an image perhaps from our recent study in the book of Genesis might help help us to perceive this reality if you remember in Genesis we learned about the construction of the tabernacle And if you remember in the construction of the tabernacle, one of the things that we pictured that God said to be made was this long, elaborate curtain that separated the holy place, the sanctuary of the tabernacle, from the holy of holies. The place, the throne room, if you will, where God's presence would reside. Imagine for for a moment that such a curtain exists before us. A curtain exists between heaven and earth. And when that curtain is blown aside, for a moment we can see heaven. One day, the scriptures promise us, the curtain will be taken down and earth and heaven will be one. As Paul once wrote, for now we see in part what God is doing, but one day we will see everything exactly as it is. Beloved, Advent is the season of waiting for that day when the curtain will come down and the citizens of earth and of heaven will be one. Our theme during the season, as a result, is going to be about this reunion of heaven and earth as it's realized through the coming of Jesus Christ. During the next four weeks, we are going to journey from the moment when heaven and earth were separated to the moment when they will at last be reunited again. And in the middle of it all will stand the watershed moment of history, the reason for the season of Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But this morning, we begin with the beginning. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, if you have chapter 2 there, we're going to read just three verses, and then we're going to go to chapter 3 in a little bit. From Genesis chapter 2 to set the stage, verse 15, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the beginning, things were good. In the beginning, things were good. That's the repeated refrain, if you're not familiar with this text, the repeated refrain as God speaks creation into existence. It was good. Life was good. Does anyone have one of those hats or those T-shirts that just says, Life is good? No one? All right. I like that, that, that shirt, that T-shirt. And that's what we see here in Genesis. Life is good. It was everything that we desire for life to be. Everything epitomized by that cap or that t-shirt. It was life was simple. Life was full. Life was eternal. And not just for a moment. That t-shirt that had is life is good for the moment. Life is good today. But in the beginning, life was simple. Life was full. Life was eternal. Not just for a moment. Not just for a day. Forever, forever. In the beginning, God gave humanity a vocation, instructions and boundaries. Our calling was to tend and keep the garden, to cultivate and fill the earth as we see in other parts of this story. Our work, you'll notice in the beginning, was shared and not divided. Our work was complementary and not competitive. There were no hierarchies. There there was no corporate ladder, there were no unions, there was no glass ceiling, there was no unemployment, there were no pay cuts, there were no layoffs. In the beginning, life was good. Our identity, our worth came not from our jobs, not from our titles, not from our pay scale, not from our portfolios or our resumes. Our sense of self came from the reflection of God's image in us. Our sense of self came from our relationship with God. And the instructions that came with the calling that we were given were simple and explicit. In tending the garden, in cultivating and filling the earth, God says, enjoy creation by caring for it and taking it all in. Enjoy creation, don't fear it. Don't fight against it, enjoy it. Care for it. Engage and enjoy being in relationship with me, your creator, by being creative. By exploring and exercising the fullness of life's potential. The permission that came with those instructions was broad. Think about it. All of this, all of this is yours. You can eat freely of any tree in the garden. Cultivate and fill all of this. Tend and keep all of it. Enjoy all of it except for one tree. A boundary is also set. A boundary is established with a warning and the consequences are clearly stated. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Disobedience will result in death, not just the termination of life, but the severing of a relationship. Eat from that tree and nothing will ever be the same again. In the beginning it was good. And contrary to what we we often think and what will be suggested in a few moments, a chapter later, God's instructions, the boundary that he sets, is not designed to hold us back. So many people perceive this beginning, this story of our origin, and they get to the next chapter, and they buy into what we're going to hear and perceive that God is somehow a killjoy. That God only gives us life to toy around with us, to hold us back to tease us only to take away any possibility of fulfillment and satisfaction. But that's the exact opposite of what we see here. God's instructions and boundaries are designed to maximize our fulfillment and to minimize our suffering and our pain. Without rules, without boundaries, without instructions, what have you got? Chaos. You ever tried to play a game where no one knows the rules? Or where someone tries to make up the rules? Or where someone just finally says, ah, the heck with the rules? It's not a game anymore. It's chaos. It's nothingness. It's the moment as a parent when you yell upstairs, what's going on up there? It's chaos. It's nothingness without the rules, the boundaries, the instructions. And isn't this what God created life from? If we go back a chapter, God created life. He spoke creation into existence from chaos, from nothingness, from a formless mass. The order and structure that God gives allows the possibility of life. It doesn't take away life. I told you the repeated refrain in Genesis is, it was good, and it culminates in, it was very good. And we can hear that and we might not hear it the way it was written originally, the way it was intended. The original Hebrew here when it says it was good doesn't mean, okay, this is good versus that. When it says here in Genesis it was good, it was very good, it means this is good because this is the purpose for which it was created. This is what it was made for. The instructions and boundaries given by the creator were for the purpose of living in relationship with his love and care. To experience and to enjoy life to the fullest. Beloved, I don't know if you're seeing the same picture that I'm seeing, but in the beginning, every day was Christmas. In the beginning, every day was Christmas. Do you remember wishing for that as a kid? I said it many a time. Oh, I wish every day was Christmas. (laughs) Why can't every day be Christmas? Gotta wait till next year. But think about it. Think about the tidings. Think about the wishes that we express during the season. Think about the things that we say we long for during Christmas time peace on earth, goodwill to men, comfort and joy. This was the way things were when the universe was new in the beginning. Peace, goodwill, comfort and joy weren't things to hope or wish for, they were not the exception, they were the norm. They were the everyday realities of life. In the beginning, every day was Christmas. And this is important for us to realize because at a time when many of us are beginning to think, if we haven't already with Black Friday, when we're beginning to think about money and gifts, we're beckoned to recall a time when the only gift that money can't buy was free. You can struggle all you want. You can look on Amazon. You can go to Walmart. But no amount of money, no amount of money, no amount of standing in line, no bargain, no deal can buy happiness or peace. No amount of money can make life happen. No amount of money, and many have tried, can make death cease. But there was a time when life was simple, when life was full, when life was eternal, And it didn't cost a thing. It was a gift from our Creator. And it was good. And even the greatest gift came with instructions. You have this gift of life that God has given you. Have you read the instructions? Because even the greatest gift of all comes with instructions. And many of us are entering into a season where one of the banes of this season will be that we will receive or give gifts where we won't read the instructions. The instructions are clear. Tend the garden, fill the earth. Enjoy it, but respect the boundaries. And every gift, as we know, comes with a warning label. And this one was no exception. How many of you, be honest, got a gift at some point in your life, probably when you were younger, and you paid no attention to the warning label (laughs) at all? All the guys should be raising their hand right now. (laughs) Oh, it, it can do this, no problem. Every gift comes with a warning label, and this one was no exception. God says, if you use what I have given you outside the limits of its intended purpose, it will break. It will all become broken. Is your life broken? Have you paid attention to the warning label? In the beginning, every day was Christmas until the Grinch came until the Grinch stole Christmas. If you have your Bible open, we but turn to Genesis chapter three, starting with verse one. Let's hear the rest of the story for today. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called on to the man, Where are you? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Adam and Eve are asked a question. A question about God's gift. It's the first question of the Bible. Did God really say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent's question, however, is not about the gift. It's about the giver. The question drips with skepticism and sarcasm, and really it's a question about authority and obedience. The serpent misquotes God, if you didn't catch it, raising doubt about the validity of God's command. And notice also that the question is very intentional. Only the boundary, only the prohibition is stressed. The invitation, the gift, is ignored. Through distortion and selective editing, the Grinch plants seeds of doubt, about God's character, seeds of doubt about God's goodness, seeds of doubt about God's purposes. And clearly, those seeds have already taken root as Eve corrects the snake, but did you notice? Still misquotes God. A second and false boundary is created by Eve when she adds, do not touch to do not eat. And again, notice that with Eve, the focus is solely on the prohibition, not the invitation. Not the great, broad permission, but the prohibition. And beloved, we are often no different. We have, to have got to see ourselves reflected in this story. Because we often, in our relationship with God, on the other side of this story, all too often, focus on the limits when it comes to God. Focus on the boundaries. Don't focus on the invitation. Don't focus on the gift. We can, l- we can talk about law, man, we love to talk about law, but not so much about grace, not so much about grace. Beloved, when we question the gift, we're questioning the giver, there's no difference. And when we question the giver, there's a domino effect that begins to happen and we see it take place in just nine verses. The domino effect is this, when we begin to question the giver, gratitude becomes eclipsed by presumption. The serpent jumps right on it as gratitude goes right out of the way and goes right to presumption. When the serpent now raises doubt, not just about the command of God, the the boundary, but about the outcome of disobedience, you will surely not die. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. How often in our lives we can allow what is good to be replaced by what is better. The possibility of an alternative to a life with God is raised. It's a life without God. And suddenly, in that moment of that alternative possibility that this is good, but this could be better, suddenly what is forbidden becomes more attractive than what is permitted. Knowledge is power, as we like to say. And independence is everything. Do you find it interesting, and I'm in the throes of this right now, do you find it interesting that the time of life when we tend to relive the very scene that we see here in Genesis chapter 3 is during adolescence? Is it not interesting that all of us at some point in that point of adolescence reach, reach that place where the same things that were attractive to our first ancestors become attractive to us? I have knowledge. Suddenly, I don't need you to tell me what to do, Mom and Dad, because I know everything. Everything. And boy, my life is horrible right now. But when I get out, when I get away, oh man, it's going to be good. It's exactly what we see here. Knowledge is power. Independence is everything. The mantra of adolescence in Genesis chapter 3. And much like the fruit of the tree, the alternative to the life that God offers. The alternative of a life without God can often appear to be good for food like it was to Eve. It can, a life without God, we can take care of all, all of our needs if we don't have this God in our lives. It can be a delight to our eyes. A more attractive, attractive alternative. Gosh, I'm just so many rules and restrictions and boundaries. My life is horrible. You're, you're restricting me but how much more freedom I'll have. And it can be desirable for gaining wisdom. I just wanna get out, I just wanna experience, I just wanna see the world, why are you holding me back? Temptation always works like that, whether you're 13 or whether you're 35 or whether you're 55 or 85, temptation always works like that. On the surface, on the surface, but beneath the allure of taking our lives into our own hands are consequences greater than we can imagine. It's not Christmas anymore when we think we're self-sufficient. It's not Christmas anymore when we think we're self-sufficient. And for many of us, we enter into this season, and it isn't Christmas anymore for any of you. It's just for the kids. We do it for the kids. We tell them all the stories and the different things. It's for the kids. They haven't grown up yet. So let them get into the season and get the gifts. But we have everything we need. When we're self-sufficient, we have no need for Christmas. When you think you have it all, there are no gifts left to be given to you. And Many of us, we even admit it or not, think we have it all. Beloved, i got to tell you, this is the legacy. This right here in Genesis chapter 3 is the worst gift exchange Ever. Some of you are going to engage in that this season. It's a tradition. This is the worst gift exchange ever. A simple, full, and eternal life without pretense, without shame, exchanged for the knowledge of good and evil, but not the understanding of it. Our eyes are opened, but we know too much. We can't handle this much exposure. Do you ever, isn't it fascinating that the number one stumbling block for most people, Christians and non Christians, comes back to this thing, this this fruit, this knowledge that supposedly was going to give us everything? Why do bad things happen to good people? We understand nothing about good and evil. We know it, but we understand nothing about it. And for many, it is the reason why they cannot embrace this God, and for others, it's the very reason why they fear this God, even as they believe in him. We keep biting from the same apple, though. We keep biting from the same apple as we are just drawn to knowledge. But, beloved, for a moment, can we ask, is there knowledge that comes at too high of a cost? For example... We have had so many advances in our medical knowledge, so many advances that have helped us to diagnose more of what's wrong with our bodies. But do you notice while we can diagnose more of what's wrong with us, we have little understanding of the why and how of the problems that we can diagnose. And I'm not trying to slam doctors right now, but it was fascinating to me in my own family that you can, and have you had this experience? You go in and the doctor can tell you what's wrong, but I don't know why. And I don't know exactly how to fix it. I mean, is it, has anyone ever crossed their mind to think that ignorance is bliss? To think about your parents before you who lived their lives and never knew they had anything and they just lived their lives where now we know we have something but there's nothing we can do about it. We don't know why it happens. Is that better? Medical knowledge, not to pick on this, but you know, we live at a time when we have seen our knowledge increase on genetic testing and stem cell research, and it's opened up the doors, no question, to new medicines, new possibilities for healing. But at the same time, it's ushered in more ethical dilemmas than we've ever encountered before. And in all of this in an example, I'm not suggesting that we stop medical research and exploration. Not at all. What I am pointing out is that knowledge is not always the same thing as understanding. Knowledge is power, but with great power comes great responsibility, or as we like to say, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Independence has its trade-offs. Adolescence gives its way to adulthood. We have some college students in the house. It's great to be on your own, but boy, is it good to come home. Rejecting our dependency on God leaves us with only one option, a more costly dependency, a dependency on ourselves and a dependency on our own resources. Beloved, without boundaries, does our knowledge release us from chains or does it forge new ones? The boundaries and limits that God sets before us are for our own protection, but once they're removed, we have this picture, they, we heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. The Hebrew word here for walk, it's, used, it's the same word that's used to describe God's presence in the tabernacle. It means to dwell and abide. It, the tense of the verb that's used here conveys a habitual action. So what I want you to understand is when it says the Lord God walked in the garden, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, it wasn't just that God decided to take a walk in the garden to see if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. It's not like us as parents where we don't hear anything from upstairs so we go up there or something's got to be wrong. <laughs> What's implied here is that this was a frequent habitual action of God. That God regularly walked among the garden out of a desire to dwell and abide with his creation. To have a relationship with them. To enjoy fellowship with them. But it was not to be this time. Beloved, the ultimate legacy of the worst gift exchange ever is not a wealth of knowledge, but a loss of trust. When we focus on the limits rather than the provision, when we fixate on the boundaries rather than the invitation that is offered, when we allow temptation to eclipse what is good with what might be better, we are placing our trust not in God, but in ourselves. And then the great cover up operation begins. We hide from God, and we hide from each other. Rather rather than looking forward to another time of fellowship with the Lord, Adam and Eve attempt to hide from God. Joy and peace are exchanged with fear and separation. Beloved, moving away from God always increases our sense of alienation in this world. On the other side of Genesis chapter 3, we discover, we all feel it, an ache, a longing for something that's missing from our lives. Our lives are incomplete, though we yearn. We burn, some of us, for them to be full. Our lives, our world, is complicated, though we desire for things to be simple again. Our journey ends in a grave, even as we dream, even as we reach for eternity. And most people Most people in our world, most people, maybe some of you here today, frantically try to fill this void or numb it, to numb this ache all their lives. We try to fill it or we try to numb it, but this core, essential part of who we are will never be fulfilled by what this world around us offers. There is nothing else for us out there on Earth that is going to fulfill us or completely make sense of our lives. Our longings, our loneliness, the pain, the emptiness that come from that sense within, that comes from this, this reality that the things that originally belonged together have come apart. And when you realize that things that belong together have come apart, there is nothing more painful than separation. Any of us here who enter this holiday season separated from a loved one can relate to those feelings. Separation is painful. Someone is not here. Something is wrong. It's just not the same. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, every earthly loss, every earthly loss, no matter what its content, points to this greater loss, a loss above all others. All separations in our lives are connected to the coming apart of heaven and earth. Beloved, our longing for Christmas and all it promises is our longing for God. We long for God, and yet, like our first ancestors, we are afraid of God. We fear what this God will say to us. We fear that this God will not follow our agenda, but instead expect us to fall in line with his agenda. We fear that this God will ask too much of us too soon. We fear that God will ask us to let go of the one thing that we cannot live without. Or maybe, maybe we're afraid that God will get too close. Intimacy requires vulnerability. It requires being naked. It requires facing things about ourselves that we often choose to ignore or deny. Hiding from God, keeping God at a distance, it's just safer. It's just easier that way. Yes, the fear can be strong. But the longing is stronger still. We long, don't we? We long to know and to be known. We long to drop all the pretenses. How exhausting it is to live in fear. To work so hard to make ourselves presentable. To make ourselves worthy. Some of us have come from an annual tradition on a Thursday called Thanksgiving where we try so hard to make ourselves presentable. We try so hard to win our parents, our brother, our sister, our mom, our dad, our relatives' approval that we're okay. We long to be free of the shame and the guilt that we carry in our lives. No one wants to spend their whole life hiding. No one. No one wants to spend their whole life concealing who they really are, squelching their desire, squelching their longing for something more. We long. To truly love and to be loved without guilt or shame. We all want to come home for the holidays. We all want to experience Christmas every day of our lives. Beloved, the good news is that this God longs for our restoration. This God desires to be in relationship with us just as much as we do, if not more. Such love, such desire is reflected in the Lord's question, Where are you? It's not a question born of ignorance. God knows where Adam and Eve are. The Lord asks this question to focus on the relationship versus the rule. His question is an invitation, not a rebuke. It's not what's going on up there. Where are you? God tenderly draws people out of hiding rather than driving them into hiding. And this same God continues to seek, to invite, to draw us out of hiding today. Where are you? How long will you hide from me? Beloved, God is saying that this morning to some of you. Are you journeying to Bethlehem in these next few weeks? Will you be journeying, journaling, journeying to Bethlehem or will you be getting ready to hide in the midst of the seasonal rush? It's so funny how the stress level seems to go up more and more every time around this year. The most wonderful time of the year raises an awful lot of expectations, doesn't it? This time of year has a way of setting us up because it taps into that deep longing. It taps into that universal desire that seeks fulfillment. We want it so bad. And so we'll use this time of year to place that expectation on others. Or worse, we'll let others put those expectations on us. And how easily it becomes all about finding that certain item, all about getting that certain gift, all about experiencing that certain feeling, all about having that certain person being involved in our lives. And nothing lives up to those kind of expectations except him. Because the day after Christmas always comes. Isn't that the worst? As a kid, it's the worst. The day after Christmas is a bummer. The day after Christmas always comes until he comes, until Jesus comes again. Where have you gone? Where have you gone? We used to get along really well. What happened? God is saying to some of you this morning, this morning are some of us living depending more on our own knowledge Or are we living a life of trust and dependence upon God? Are some of us here this morning, are you lost in the holiday shuffle? Lost in all the rules, the traditions, the customs of Christmas that you're missing the real gift of Christmas? God's condescension, heaven coming down, the creator calling his created back home to freely live with him and enjoy his presence. Beloved, this short window of time often works against the invitation of God, the invitation into relationship. It's all too easy, especially at this time of year, for there not to be enough time. More often than not, this month more than any other, something blocks our view of heaven. Our inability to wait is what blocks our view of heaven. Much of the frenzy of our lives and why it just amps up during these next four weeks is because we are seeking answers to our heavenly need through earthly means. We are always busy. There's so much to do, so much going on. And before you know it, the good displaces the better, is displaced by the better. The urgent shoves aside the important. Beloved, don't. Don't let this Advent season pass you by, don't let your longing for God get buried under holiday busyness and stress. Honor that longing that we all have. Be intentional, be expectant, come to the stable, follow the star, listen to the voice that is quietly calling you. Gaze beyond the frantic activity of this season and notice who waits for you in the straw and hay of a manger. May our longing for what once was, for what will be again, may that desire be uncovered, reawakened and treasured in these next few weeks. Let us not be so desperate to get to heaven or so oblivious as to our need of heaven that we miss the greatest gift of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Because beloved, God longs for Eden God longs to restore what's been lost as much as we do, even more so. All that God wants for Christmas is you. All that God wants for Christmas is you. This journey that begins in sorrow and longing will end in joy and reunion. Because we believe, we know that Christ has come, we can have hope, we have assurance that Christ will come again. And to close out this time in God's word, I want to invite you in saying a creed. It's not a creed that we've said before, it's a creed that I've adapted. I call it a creed for Advent. Let it be a reminder of what we have heard, but also a reminder of what we are to be expectant for. The words will be on the screen, Share them with me. It is not true that creation and humanity are doomed to destruction and loss. This is most certainly true. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. It is not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. This is most certainly true. Jesus came that all may have life and have it in abundance. We believe in one God who is creator, maker of all we see and all we don't see, who is ruler of the universe, source of all creation. We believe in one God who is Jesus Christ, God from God, light from light, true God and true human. He is one with the Creator, the Word made flesh, our Messiah, Savior of all creation. We believe in one God who is Holy Spirit, breath of God moving among us, who is one with the Creator, one with the Christ, our Comforter and our Guide, who spoke through the prophets of Jesus' first coming who assures us even now that Christ shall come again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We believe. We are ready. We are waiting. Amen.